0: Predominantly in the Gospel of John this morning, and starting in chapter 18 and verse 33, and while you're turning there, just a a reminder that as we start, that uh, our desire to come together to uh, listen to the Lord, that anything not of the Lord would just go in one ear and out the other, but that those things of the Lord would stick to our hearts, and that the Lord would communicate his love and life with us. Let's pray, and then we'll read. And begin Lord, thank you for this morning and thank you that you are a God of love. That this is a season of Advent in which we look to you as a Lord of life. Thank you for all that you are. Thank you that you are a God of communicates and longs to be known. And I just pray this morning that you would know our hearts hearts that long to have you at the center of our lives, that you would be our all in all, that we would know what it means to abide in the truth. And in your life, and I just pray again this morning that as we open your Word, that we would place our trust in you, and you alone as the one who communicates to our hearts. And may you both encourage us and challenge us this morning. What it means to know you, and to walk in you, and to know the righteousness and the truth that comes with it. Thank you for all of this, and we put it all before you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we begin our uh, scripture this morning in John chapter 18, I want to note that over this Advent season, Lauren has set apart a time in which we want to look at why did Jesus come. And Lauren asked me to speak on this morning on the first of what will be several uh, Sundays focusing on these things, the first of which being that he came to be a witness to the truth. And so we're going to look at that this morning, and I'll read from John 18 and verse 33, and this is what it says. Therefore, Pilate entered again into the praetorium and summoned Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Are you saying this on your own initiative, or did others tell you about me? Pilate answered, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. And if my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Therefore, Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born. For this I have come into the world to testify to the truth, and everyone who's of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews. I'm going to pause there, because as we read this morning, we see a few things in conversation with Pilate. Pilate, who's questioning Jesus. And when he comes to that point in place, in verse 37, he says, so you are a king. And Jesus, not refraining, says, you say correctly, I'm a king. And I've been born for this purpose. I've come into this world to testify to the truth. Or in another translation, you might find this word, to bear witness. To testify means to show that something exists or is true, to bear witness rather, to testify, to make a statement, saying something you know, or to verify something that is. This is why Jesus came, to testify, and what a profound question Pilate had at the end. What is truth? And I think no more fitting question today, as we live in a world where truth is being defined by so many things, not just outside the church walls where you hear words like, speak your truth, but inside the church walls where you have 10,000 different denominations saying 10,000 different things about the same God and the same Bible, and they all say they have the truth. How do you know what to believe in? I didn't know what to do, where to go. Well, Jesus came, and what does he say? For this reason, I've been born, and I've come into the world to bear witness, to show, to testify to that which is true, the truth. And I want to note this morning that as we begin to look into our scriptures, we want to look at the fact that both Not only how Jesus came, but when he came, he came to declare the truth. And this morning, we are consistently and constantly in the need to keep holding everything to the light of the gospel and the life of Christ, both what we hear outside these walls and what we hear inside. Because it is so easy to fall away from that standard. Here's the important thing this morning. We do not worship a God who plays seek. From the beginning of time, God has longed to be known. It's fascinating as you go back and look in, through world history that you see so many things, so many gods. You see, Eastern religion will tell you that God is powerful and yet not relational. It was Greek mythology that showed God's who were absolutely understandable and relational and yet not all-powerful. They thought it was a soap opera from the beginning, wasn't it? Oh, but relatable, weren't they? But you see, it was Jehovah, the Creator, who was both all-powerful and what? Relational. In relationship with His creation from the very beginning. Longing. To be known. Listen to this. Because God from the beginning, it tells us in Romans 1 that I am not ashamed of the gospel. 1 verse 14. Why? Because it is salvation for all who believe. And as you read Romans 1, it will go on and tell you that all are without excuse. Why? Because it says this in Romans 1 and verse 18. For the wrath of God, it says, is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. And unrighteousness of the men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. He says this in verse 20, as Paul writes to the Romans, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. Isn't that amazing? That from the beginning of time, God has been in the business of proclaiming his eternal power and divine nature, even through what has been made. If every voice were to shut their mouths, even the, what? Rocks would cry. That's the God we serve. But God did not stop at revealing his nature through creation in the world that he made. It tells us this in 1 Peter and chapter 1 and verse 10. As to the salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the spirit of Christ within them was indicating, as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. What does that tell you? That God began to communicate a message. Through the patriarchs, through the prophets, that all might know his good nature and his salvation. But what's important this morning is that when we read in Hebrews and chapter one and verse one, listen, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers, in the prophets, in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world, and is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. What does that tell you? That a God who's been revealing himself from the beginning of time in relationship with that which he made, that Christ was the fullness of that revelation. The radiance of his glory. The name above all names. Into which you could see it all. That was the Lord Jesus. And that is the God. Who is communicating to us today. And we are going to look at that revelation. Through Jesus. But I want to stop for a moment. And just note this: That if. There be any doctrine. That begins, and we'll see how this unfolds. This morning. that that the gospel, the glory, the fullness of the good news, is dependent on the denomination you attend, the Bible translation you read, or a dispensation in time. It's only available to a certain people. That have certain access to certain things. Stop. Stop. Because from the beginning of time, God has been revealing his nature. He longs to be known. And in fact, keep reading the book of Romans. And in chapter 2 and verse 13, you know what it says? About these who have no excuse. He says, listen, it is not those who've heard the law who will be justified, but those who do it. How can you do the law, the things of God, without having heard the words of God? You know what Paul says? They have heard it. Why? Because he says their consciences will either accuse or defend them because that very law will be written on their what? Hearts. Be careful. If you think you have to go somewhere to find the secrets of God because he's written them on your heart, And it's through the work of Christ. Corinthians tells us, as Paul writes that church, nobody knows a man's thoughts except a man's spirit. And he asks this question, how could we possibly know God's thoughts? And then he concludes with this. We can. Why? Because we have the spirit of God within us. Isn't that amazing? Today, the glory of God has never been more accessible. Because his revelation, profound, beginning to end, is found in the person of Jesus. And yet in a world where so many people were looking to get to God, it had become so crazy and convoluted. Everybody had an idea. Everybody had a story. Listen to what Paul writes, and I've noted it down for time's sake. In Galatians 2, it says this, it was because of a revelation that I went up and I submitted to them the gospel which I preached among the Gentiles. But I did so in private to those who were of reputation for fear that I might be running or had run in vain. But not even Titus, who was with me, though he was a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. But it was because of the false brethren secretly brought in, who sneaked in to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, in order to bring us into bondage. But we did not yield in subjection to them for even an hour, so that the truth of the gospel would remain with you. You see, everybody had an idea of how you got close to God. Godliness, God-likeness. And to these Judaizers, it was circumcision and only circumcision that got you there. And they were trying to take those who had found freedom in Christ and put them back under a law that they need no longer follow. Why? Because it had been fulfilled. That's one of the things you're going to see in the coming Sundays. as why Jesus came. But they were trying to put them under a place and a position. But Jesus was going to come and put it right. Listen to this. I love the saying these days, when you see the words, fake news, right? Is that to our time alone? Listen to Matthew 28. When they assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave large sums of money to soldiers and said, you are to say his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this should come to the governor's ears, we will win him over and keep you out of trouble. It says this. They took the money and did as they'd been instructed. And this story was widely spread among the Jews. And is to this day. Fake news. Spread to this day. He didn't rise. How do you know what's true? Well, it's interesting that today as we read, the world is longing for truth. And yet, in a world full of relativity, what's true to you is true to you, what's true to me is true to me, and it's all good. No, it's not. Because there is only one truth. A one-time friend in ministry who's gone on to be with the Lord wrote it this way, listen carefully. Truth is as timeless as God himself. It never changes. It may be forgotten, neglected, Perverted, opposed, rejected, counterfeited, or displaced, but it never changes. It is not an emphasis or a concept, a party line, or merely an option. It is an imperative. This fact is truth. It is not subject to debate nor dialogue. It is not an option to be offered. It is a fact to be proclaimed. Truth does not evolve over the years any more than God evolves or Christ evolves you know the truth today? Because when Jesus came, he came to reclaim the truth, and I was laughing the other day at myself because I was trying to decipher something. I had the privilege of taking a logging course, and I found just how difficult it is in a forest full of trees when you're trying to predict a lean. Do you know how hard it is to tell which way a tree is leaning in a forest full of leading trees? It's tough. I mean, if you want to know what's crooked, but what you're measuring up to is all crooked, how do you know what's right? How do you know what's straight? You know what I found? And it's a funny one because it's old-fashioned, but in the back of my logger's belt, you know what I have? something like this, that I'll haul out in the middle of the forest and hold it up. What is it? Plum a plumb line. Why? Because only this, apart from any other thing, without wind or waiver, if I hold that up, what do I know? This string is perfectly what? String. Plumb. Vertical. And now I can look up at a tree and I can know. Is it leading one way or the other? But without a standard to measure by, I'm lost. I can never know. I can judge according to my senses, but I'll tell you what, (laughs) I laugh because uh, my instructor, he was like a forensic artist and there was a tree that I had tried to fall before I met him and it was horrific. It was one of these ones we put a notch in, we put the saw in, and it back pitched the blade. And then we took another chainsaw and tried to cut out the chainsaw. And you know what was amazing? All that was left was the stumps and it had a few markings and scars. And this man walks up and he looks at the stump and he goes, well, it looks here like a couple of idiots who didn't know what they were doing. <laughs> Dropped the saw, cut the saw out, then tried to wedge the saw. He, he called it like <laughs> down to like, it was like he'd been watching a reality show amazing, right? And then he's like, and then it fell the other way, because he looks at the scar in the ground, right? He knew it, and he knew that we were (laughs) idiots, before we knew better, right? That's what happens. But listen, this is exactly what God says in Amos 7, chapter, uh, chapter 7. Listen to this. God says, he showed me, and behold, the Lord was standing by a vertical wall with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said to me, what do you see Amos? And I said, a plumb line. And the Lord said, I'm about to put a plumb line in the midst of my people, Israel, and I will spare them no longer. What was God preparing to do? To come into a crooked world that had become more and more crooked and place a plumb line in the midst of them because they had lost the standard. It had become more about their religion their own righteousness, and what they could do for God rather than what God had come to do for them. And he said, listen, I'm going to put a plumb line in the midst of my people. What was the plumb line? It was a person. That's why when we get to the Gospel of John and Chapter 1, and I'm going to read quickly this morning. Listen, in the beginning was the word, the Logos. And the word, the Logos, was with God, and the Logos was God. And he was in the beginning with God, and all things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him, the Logos was the light, and the light was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. I love this, because as I've probably shared with some of you before, these verses remind us that all the people that John was writing to were seeking life, both the Jews and the Greeks. And it was the Greeks, remember people in bathrobes sitting around thinking all day when they heard that word logos? What did they think about? It, it was about philosophy, and they were worshiping their ideals and ideas because they thought that life was found in, in philosophical debate that somehow, some way, you could find a way, a principle, that would define it all. When a Jew heard the word logos, it was completely different. When they heard that word, in the beginning was the logos, absolutely, they would go back to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, and what did it say? In the beginning was God, and God, what? Said, let there be light. And there was light. The Jews believed in a God that was so great that all he needed to do was speak. And it came into being. And so to the Greek, the logos, the meaning of life, the light of life. Yes, the Jew, absolutely. This is the word that created it all. But I love how John throws a big fat wrench into the whole thing. In verse 14, because we all long for the Logos, and yet in verse 14, And the Logos, the Word, what? Became flesh, and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. I love that, because it tells us this. That the Word became flesh and dwelt. That word dwelt, tabernacled, temporarily dwelt among us. Just like God's presence in the tent, the Word came and dwelt, and we saw, we beheld His glory. Verse 18 says it this way. He says, listen, no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, He, Has explained. You see the plumb line. Was a person. And the logos would become flesh. And dwell. Tabernacle. Temporarily be in our midst. To what? Show the standard. That they had all begun to miss. And Jesus. Was the plumb line. And he was going to declare truth. To all mankind. Now what's the truth? in a world full of people who were saying this is the way you must do this, be this go to this place, remember the woman at the well when she met Jesus one of my favorite stories because when she meets him and he begins to unfold her life and says go tell your husband and bring him here and she says I have no husband remember what he said you're right because you've had three and the one you're with It is not your husband. You know what he revealed? A woman's life in which she was going from place to place, man to man, seeking out relationship, but never finding what her heart desired. And I love what she does there, because at that moment, when he opens up her life and shows that he sees all things, you know what her next statement is? I see that you're a Okay. she changed the conversation to theology. Isn't that the best? <laughs> I see that you see all things. And she says this. The Jews go to the temple. But we go to this mountain to worship. Why? Because the Samaritans weren't allowed into Jerusalem. They were compromisers. They were considered dirty. They had no access to the things of God. And she says to him, Please tell me, prophet, is it on this mountain or that that we find closeness to God? What was her heart longing for? And Jesus' answer was profound. It is neither this mountain or that. Why? Because those who are holy His worship in spirit and truth. She was looking for a place to find closeness for God. And what she needed to realize, whether it wasn't a place, it was going to be found in a person. And that person was sitting with her right there at the well that, that very moment of that day. Jesus had come to show the truth to people who were looking anywhere and everywhere for closeness to God. And he wanted to show them the way. Now, here's the truth. Again, to put it this way, Jesus came down, the creator, and chose to play the role of the creator. He chose to play the role of the created, but he chose to live in a way as man was meant to live from the beginning. He chose to live as we ought to live. He chose to show us the path to righteousness. His righteousness. And where did he find it? Here's the truth, everyone. It's found in John chapter 5 and verse 19. I'm going to read a few verses. It says this. Listen carefully. Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does, in like man. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself is doing. And the Father will show him greater works than these, so that you will learn. Listen, the Son can do what? Nothing. Apart from the Father. Go look at the way in which Jesus lived. The Son can do nothing. He says this in chapter 5 verse 30, I can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. He says this in John 6 and verse 38, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. And again, in John 15, verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His. You see, everything Jesus did, not my will is my own, not my actions are my own, not what I say is my own, not my judgments are my own. In fact, everything I do, what did he say? I can do nothing apart from the Father. There's the first lie. That when the serpent deceived Adam and Eve in the garden, notice in Genesis, that it was Elohim, all powerful, who created the heavens and the earth. And it was Jehovah who breathed Ruah, the spirit or the breath of life into the man and woman that he had made. And when he made them, they were made in the image of God. And yet when the serpent came in Genesis three, what was the lie? God knows that when you eat this fruit, when you eat this fruit, you will be more like him, knowing good from evil. Do you know what the problem is? They didn't need to be any more like God because they were already created in his likeness, in his image. And yet for the first time, here's the doctrine, that if you do something, eat something, Get something. You can be more like God. From the beginning of time, God-likeness, godliness, was not something you achieved. It was a gift that had been received from the Creator. And yet all of a sudden now, you can be more godly, more righteous, have knowledge of of more goodness versus evil. If you did something again. And you see, the moment they tried to take righteousness into their hands, by their work, they fell. You see, Jesus came not to bring humanity to heaven, but to put God back in humanity where it belonged from the beginning. And Jesus came, the creator, playing the role of the creator to live how he had intended to create them from the onset, dependent on his divinity, dependent that we would live lives that would be that would be set apart from the rest of humankind, that would have its only explanation in God Himself, living in His creation. But that's not what they had become. It had become all about their songs for God, their prayers to God. The things they did for God, the amount of offerings in the offering for God. They had missed it. God's law from the onset was never to show them what they need to be on his behalf. In fact, we read in Galatians, what? Why the law then? It actually pointed out their sin. He said, what? Do not covet. Why? Because it would point out their covetousness and their need for God. Do not commit adultery. Why? Because it would point out their idolatrous hearts and adulterous hearts. And there they would see their need for a savior. In fact, it tells us the law had become their tutor to lead them to Christ. And yet in the process, they were rejected Because it was so much easier to live for their own righteousness rather than his. Ephesians 2 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Do you know that today? Because I find time and again, I need to come back to that place where I need to be reminded of the truth. Reminded of the fact that today, godliness is found in him and him alone. Listen to what it says in John 17. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work which you've given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have come to know that everything you've given me is from you. He goes on and says this in chapter 17, verse 20. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word. John 17, 21, that they may all be one, even as you Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, just as we are one. Did you catch it? That they may be one, even as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in Jesus had come, bankrupt. He laid it all down, given up the riches of the kingdom of heaven in dependence on the Father. Not just to show us the way to life, but to be the life. That's why in John 15, he says so confidently, abide in me, You are the branches. I am the vine. But he who abides in me, what? And I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Just as he could do nothing apart from the Father, today, you can do nothing apart from the Father. So the challenge, as we go from here, I'm reminded today just how often I need to come back to the truth, the Father. Because it is so easy, the longer we sit in these seats, the longer we call ourselves the church, the longer we know the Lord, to slip back, slip back, to slide into other doctrines, other things that may have signs of life, not be the life. Because the true life, the truth, here's the way Jesus lived. Those who give up their life will keep it. Those who let go of their wealth will be rich. Those who are weak are strong. And it's the foolish who are wise. The way back to God is not found in what you do for him, but in a heart of faith that will lay down and abide in him. And accept what he's done for you. And I wonder today just how often. If you're like me. You find yourself in a place where you've been fooled. In a crooked world. Measuring up to crooked things. Has the Christian life become about? The denomination? Or the church you need in? Because we can look around. Not only the room. But the people outside this room and begin to value their place or portion of the Kingdom by what we see? Is it on their occupation, the car that they drive? Again, the translation, the Bible that they read? Is it then in the status of their vaccination? There's a hot topic today. How do we value Because today, as we look to the Lord of life, who came to show us the truth, to testify, to bear witness, today, if the Christian life has become about your dedication, your commitment, your Bible study, your education, your offering, you may know about the life of the Lord, but you may not yet be experiencing the fullness of the life that comes from the Lord. Because when we come to the truth and the standard of righteousness, all else falls and fades away. And the invitation today, to return to the truth, to a a life that's found in Christ, and Christ alone. True repentance always leads us into dependence on the Father. And today, Sometimes one of the greatest things I need to repent from is self-righteousness. Because it's there and then that I'll truly discover God's righteousness. How easy to become self-righteous in a world of people telling you what righteousness is. I hope that over this Advent season, as you begin to look at why Christ came, it'll be an opportunity to take a look at that plumb line and measure up the standard to which we live by. Is he and he alone is that which is right and righteous. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that this morning we can open your word and be challenged. Challenged in that so often we can come to a place where life is found in our own ability to live. And yet today, true life is found in a life that's lived on our behalf. A dying to self and an embracing. Thank you that true righteousness from the beginning was never something to be achieved, but a gift received that by grace we've been saved and not of ourselves. Thank you that you are a God who is not only all-powerful, but relational. That would come to this world and do what we could not do to pay a price we could not pay and to restore what we could not fix that was broken. Thank you that as a church body that as we lean in to know you that everything else will revolve our every activity Around the source of life that dwells within. Thank you that you are revealing God that has not ceased to speak and to reveal. And as we go out these doors, it's with anticipation, in excitement, to see where you've been revealing yourself, I pray that in this advent season we come back to the person, not a principle, but a person that brings us life. And thank you. That you will be the life that as we abide, that now there is no limit to what we can do. Thank you for all of this. In Jesus' name, amen.